Hey everyone, you are listening to Cantus Firmus at the Movies, and I am here with Mike Shellman. You prefer to go by Mike or Michael? Oh, uh, Mike's good. Mike's good. Yeah. I like it. It's informal. It's friendly. So um, we're discussing uh, Noah, Darren, Off- Darren, uh, oh, did I say that right? Darren Aaron, hold on a second. I can't say this guy's name. Darren Aronofsky? Yes, I think it's Darren Aronofsky. <laughs> the Aaron, the two Aarons back to back messed me up. So, uh, and so uh, I think it was uh, made a few years ago. It's a relatively new movie with Russell Crowe and, uh, um, uh, oh, Jennifer Connelly's in it. And uh, Anthony Hopkins has a bit uh, piece. And uh, I didn't watch Harry Potter, so I'm. I, I, uh, yeah. Emma Watson. Her, Emma Watson, who plays Hermione Granger, right? So, uh, yeah, so we're. Um, so before we get into it too much, um, I thought I'd sort of introduce Mike and uh, uh, try to get a sense of uh, what he's going to be bringing to the table for the conversation. And uh, so maybe I'll first just kind of ask uh, Mike, uh, uh, maybe what we could question to start would be with like, what's your educational background? Uh, well, I, uh, let's see, I, most recently I, I uh, graduated from Bethel Seminary in 2007 with a uh, MDiv uh, in biblical studies. Um, Greek and Hebrew track. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, my focus was on the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. Um, and before that, I have a, a, a undergraduate degree in uh, English literature. Um, yeah. Cool. So, in an MDiv is the Master of Divinity. So, if you wanted to go further, you would um, you would have a demon. You'd have a demon, right? <laughs> yes, a, a, a demon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I always thought if 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 I if I were to to get a a doctorate of ministry, um, I would uh, I would want the 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 degree to say he hath a demon. <laughs> um, They'd say that at your um when when you come up, yes, to get your diploma. <laughs> yeah, I think there's got to be somebody who does that, but I don't know some school that doesn't take itself too seriously. Mike, uh, so we kind of found each other because I think you'd uh, you'd read something I'd written called Open Source Jesus, and you'd been working some, yes. on some similar kind of related stuff uh, related to um, I think the church and the idea of um, um, oh, oh shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, emergent. Emerg- yes. Um, well, here's the thing. Okay, so to kind of give you give you the full story. I, I uh, it, my uh, second semester at Bethel. I was starting my uh, theology courses, 101, 102, you know, and uh, um, I had forgotten to uh, fill out my uh, paperwork for my uh, for my student loan, and I thought for sure that I, I didn't, uh, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, it was too late to get it approved. So, so what I ended up doing was uh, just taking the theology class, and... Um, you know, I, I could pay for it by myself and the one class. And then um, uh, I decided I was going to write really good paper. And I was I was interested in the question of, of ecclesiology, you know, because I had gone to this, um, I'd gone to this church that, that was um, kind of more of an organic church. It was uh, the people there had started it. Uh, they were from the 70s Jesus movement. You know, and, and, and and to clarify, so ecclesiology is like the study of the church or doctrine of yes. the church, and yes. and organic churches are are the stu- kind of like leaderless house church style. Yes. So, of, so, yeah. so, so I'm throwing all this lingo out here and <laughs> church lingo. Um, yeah. So yeah, organic church is is um, 
kind of DIY church, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's kind of consistent with the idea of like an emergent church, or well the idea well um, emergent properties within church. This idea that church doesn't happen because people in power or the leaders of the church make it happen. It's something that develops organically and sort of comes out of the the, the people who are in it coming together and who are filled by the spirit, something like that. Yes. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to look at the question of ecclesiology and what makes the church, you know? Um, and so there was this term floating around the emerging church it sounded interesting. I had never read anything about it. I didn't know any of the figures that were involved. Um, so I just, you know, I got on Google and I started Googling emerging church, emergent, uh, stuff like that. And I found some of the books by the, you know, um, people that you would expect to find, um, Doug Paget and and um, who's the big guy? I forgot what his name is. McLaren? Brian McLaren? McLaren, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he had a book called uh, Everything's Slipping My Mind Now. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, but what I found along with that was this um, article called, um, it was by Eben Moglen, who, who was the, uh, one of the chief lawyers for the... Uh, um, free software movement mm-hmm. and um, and so he, he wrote a number of papers you know defending the uh, free software movement and in it he makes this argument about incentive and he says that uh, that people think about creative works needing to be incentivized monetarily and he says you know money is actually a pretty lousy incentive um, you know, because it has no direct relationship to the to the work, you know, and um, and so he kind of brought this idea of incentive, uh, and he said uh, he said it's like he he called it uh, um, Moglin's corollary to uh, Faraday's law, and he said if you wrap a magnet, Faraday said if you wrap a magnet uh, a a copper coil around a magnet uh, and spin the magnet, it produces current. You know, uh, electricity is an emerging property of, of this system. And he says, if you wrap the internet around the earth, you know, you spin the globe, which, you know, uh, creative, you know, creativity flows in this network of people who are connected to each other because you know, creativity is just something that people do when they when they interact with people and when they get ideas from other people and and um, you know and then this whole open source movement is is this uh, kind of this this um, trust in in the ability of people to uh, kind of come together and solve problems because mm-hmm. everyone has needs and everyone has skills and when you kind of put them together it just sort of generates um the things that you need you know Mm -hmm. um incentive kind of uh, monetary incentive kind of ends up getting in the way sometimes 
importance of, of, of that interaction. And that's another thing that he that he kind of argues a lot is is that what happens when you put proprietary interests into that system and you block cooperation of people, um, you actually you don't protect creativity, you you hurt it. I'm not repeating it exactly the way he said it, but mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting argument. Sure. Well, I, I and, and I, I think, you know, Bill Gates had famously said, you know, people aren't going to work on software for free, you know, and I think he, the example he gave was, uh, you know, no one's going to, you're not going to, you're not, no one's going to create an entire operating system if no one's getting paid. And, and yet we have hundreds of Linux distros out yeah. <laughs> at this yeah. point. That that uh, that proved that proved him wrong on that point. Just tying that back into church, um, kind of went off on a long tangent. Um, so as I as I read that argument, I thought this is what church should be like, you know, this kind of like spontaneous generation of 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 community from something. Um, what I kind of the direction I kind of take it is that from the proclamation of of the gospel so now now if somebody was interested in kind of hearing or reading more about your thoughts on that is there a, a website or anything like that where people could, could look you up or get a hold of you um well they could always email me or or facebook me uh the blog that i have up right now is uh mshelman.blogspot.com and shellman spelled s-c-h-e-l-l-m-a-n okay and if and if they wanted to find you on Facebook, they'd just look up your name, Mike Shellman. Yes, and same okay. with the email. Uh, I'm at, at yahoo.com. Um, so Mike, Mike what is it? Shellman. Yeah, Mike Yahoo. Shellman at yahoo.com. Great. So now for, for for the film, when we kind of talked about, I sort of let you know I was kind of thinking about doing this, and you talked to, immediately about Aronofsky and his films, and uh, that kind of led to us talking about Noah. And, uh, you know, because uh, the, the, uh, the other, so I've already done one of these so far. And uh, the person I did it with, uh, Nick Quint, he picked a movie uh, called Sin City, um, which is, was an interesting choice because it does deal with theological content, but in a, um, in a way that um, I guess seems less explicit uh, than a movie like Noah, which is considered a movie about, you know, religious topics. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also been very controversial. Um, uh, including in religious circles. Um, and so I thought this would be a really interesting one to talk about while we're talking about theological themes and films. And so I, I thought I might ask you to start with what was it about, what is it about Aronofsky in this film in particular that sort of interest or interests you or appeals to you? Well, yeah, I, I think what I like about Aronofsky is that he, he always seems to, um, quite often he, he's dealing with spiritual issues in his movies you know, spiritual questions. Um, they're thoughtful movies. They uh, they get you thinking about um, spiritual questions, and I and I like I like those. Was there anything in particular that uh, interested you about Noah? Why Why do you think it would be a, a good film to discuss um, for kind of theological and philosophical themes? Okay. Um, well, first, just from a just from a Christian moviegoer perspective um i really liked the movie noah because it um it portrayed spiritual 
things that you know you might read about in the you know bible as real you know realistic uh not realistic as as real things you know so you know you had these uh you had angelic beings in the movies um or in the movie that were actually portrayed um instead of kind of like oh uh portraying it in a way that was instead of portraying it in a way that was more believable to modern sensibilities it was portrayed in a way that kind of represents uh um just i'm gonna get myself into trouble here uh it it, it portrays it the way that it was um the the way the account goes mm-hmm. you know and when i say the account i'm not talking about just the biblical account um because that's that's here where i get into trouble because uh um that's more to talk about (laughs) (laughs) um but um i i liked it because um it it portrayed noah as a complex character you know he wasn't just it wasn't just um let me put it this way you can you can do a biblical movie in a way that that um, makes all of your evangelical audience happy by portraying it so you can get an idea of of what it must have looked like. And then you feel kind of like um, it's almost like a reward for your faith. You know, you you believe without seeing. You didn't see these things. Um but because you know the story and because you believe it, I'm going to portray it for you. And then it's kind of like seeing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, oh, yeah, you know, it probably it could have happened that way and could have happened just like that um, without addressing any significant questions. You know, just to me, that that just seems like pure candy mm-hmm. in a way. It's like. I'm going to, I'm going to reward you for believing by showing you something that makes you feel like, well, yeah, that, that could have happened, you know. Um, you're able to put it in a movie, and it could have happened. Um, but you walk away without thinking about any really important spiritual questions. And I think what Aronofsky does by importing some of these extra biblical accounts of Noah that include, like, these angelic beings, the watchers, mm-hmm. um, by having Noah be a, a conflicted person who, who he gets revelation from God, but he also misinterprets it and, and kind of, uh, you know, in a bad way and, and actually has a, a, a real possibility of, 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 doing bad with this word from God um, doing real evil um, and has to be corrected and the, you know that's something that that Christians are kind of taken aback by but I think it's actually a, an important question that that needs to be explored it's like can you have real revelation from God yet still get it wrong that's that's an important question yeah and actually and I, I kind of liked what you said too about um, you know feeling a little bit more realistic and more grounded 
Um, and, you know, I, I think the problem with the, the so-called Christian movie industry is that there are, you know, two types of characters. There's kind of the mean, miserable non-believer. And then they're, uh, you know, then they sort of have this, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment. And then they sort of become these kind of ethereal Stepford wife type characters. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I think that's not anybody's actual experience with faith. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, th- th- that doesn't mean that, that, that there's not a sense of peace or a sense of joy that comes with faith, but it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, you are, you know, this completely miserable person and now everything is fixed. Um, and, you know, there, there's complications, there's pain, there's suffering, there's uh, times of where you're unsure, if not of God's existence, at the very least of his presence or his love, you know. And, you know, so, you know, I, I think this film um, portrays faith in a way that is more down to earth, that's more realistic, which I, I thought was one of the things that made it very interesting to me. Um, yeah. And it doesn't, uh, it neither mocks it, nor does it make it seem simple. And I think for that reason, it uh, this movie as well as they would have liked among both secular and uh, believing audiences. Um, so um, t- maybe before we get into all this sort of discussion of the uh, theological, uh, you know, ideas and, and, and th- themes that are, are there, um, it might be uh, uh, helpful to give a uh, basic plot outline. And I'll note to begin with that, you know, we are going to... Um, have some spoilers here. So if you haven't watched it and you're interested in watching it before, uh, before you listen to this, you might want to go ahead and do that. So the idea that we sort of start with is that humanity's corrupted. Noah knows that he's supposed to build an ark because God is going to destroy the world with the flood because Noah's been given a vision of that. Uh, but he hasn't been given direct words from God. His vision is confirmed um, by uh, Methuselah, who is his uh, great grandfather, I believe. And, um, you know, the Methuselah seems to have a sense of what Noah's seeing and what it means. Um, so, you know, Noah's going to bring his sons on board with him, and uh, he's going to find wives for two of his sons that haven't hooked up yet and uh, aren't hooked up yet, and um, decides not to. Um, the, the, the son, uh, Shem, who's going on with um, his sort of girlfriend who was someone that Noah had kind of adopted um, after her family and her village had been slaughtered when she was still somewhat young. She's also barren. Um, but uh, Noah um, comes to this conclusion that humanity is so wicked, not just the people who aren't going on the ark, but but that the wickedness that's in everybody, including him, that um, if God's wanting to destroy the world because it's so wicked, God must not actually want humanity to to repopulate Mm -hmm. because they're just going to do the same thing and so noah decides that um it's his job or his family's his family's job to save other life to save the animals and um that once they get off the boat they are going to live out their lives and die and not propagate yes um then a miracle happens um and uh, methuselah sort of uses this sort of miraculous uh healing power on the girl whose name is um, Ela, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so she is not barren and um, 
um, you know, <laughs> um, she does something sort of adult with Shem before they go on the boat and um, um, is, impreg is pregnant. So then the, the, the complication is that because Noah feels that um, humanity is not supposed to continue, um, he's decided that if the child is a girl, he will have to kill it. And uh, the spoiler is that um, the, there's two girls, they're twins, and he can't kill them because when he looks at them, all he feels is love and mercy. And he feels conflicted because he feels that he has not done what he was supposed to do, but he couldn't do what he was supposed to, what he thought he was supposed to do. Um, and so there's sort of a moment where he speaks to Ela afterward, after he sort of is working through all this guilt of what he's done or what, you know, the, all the, what he didn't do and what he thought he should do. And, um, and he sort of eventually concludes that um, though his judgment of humanity's wickedness is correct, God desires mercy to triumph over judgment and that there is goodness in humanity because we're made in the image of God. And so he's able to sort of reconcile with his family um, after reaching that conclusion. Um, so, um, though, oh, oh, yes, the watchers. So there are angels who um, are basically portrayed as benevolent. Uh, they come down to help humanity and, and give them insight and wisdom. And they are uh, punished by God for that by um, being um, kind of stuck to the earth in a way. Like they sort of become these, <laughs> to put it bluntly, they become like these rock monsters. Yeah. So they're the spirits are sort of trapped in this all this matter, and um, they, uh, you know, that's so anyway. They they help Noah build the ark um, before. Um, they're killed by the all the people who are trying to get on the ark um, when the rains start. Um, so, and that so maybe, maybe just a, a point of, of plot clarification before we go into a lot of theological content is that um, I, the way that the watchers are portrayed is kind of interesting because there are places where they take from uh, Ranofsky and, and his uh, co-writer. Uh, whose name is Ari Handel, um, take from intertestamental literature, like stuff that was written between the Old and New Testaments, like the book, uh, First, Divine, uh, book First Enoch, um, and uh, you know, other writings as well. Um, Jubilees, I believe, I think discusses it a little bit as well. And um, so one thing that's kind of different is the idea of the Watchers comes from Genesis 6, where it talks about the sons of God, uh, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they went into them, which is a uh, word meaning they had sex with them. <laughs> and um, then it says there were, when they went into them, uh, there were in those days uh, Nephilim uh, on the earth, uh, men of renown. And the word Nephilim sometimes is translated as giants, uh, but it seems to mean something where we're literally like fallen ones. Um, but, in Genesis 6, it seems to be saying that the Nephilim are the offspring of these angels and humans. Uh, another reading developed later um, that I think is less literal and, and probably uh, less consistent with the text, although what's in the text is such a strange thing, sort of such a strange idea that's never really followed up on that it's, I understand why people are looking for alternative explanations. Um, but um, so the, the, 
the interpretation that comes later is that the sons of God are actually from the noble line of Seth and the daughters of men are from the corrupt line of Cain. Yep. Um, and what's interesting is Aronofsky seems to borrow a little bit and, and, uh, and uh, handle uh, from both of these ideas because there is a corrupt line of Cain and there is a good line of Seth. Um, but uh, there's also these watchers that exist uh, but there's no indication in the story anyway that they ever have sex with human beings. Yeah, I think I think he didn't I think he made a choice not to touch on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but he does he does connect Kane's line with the watchers. Yes. Right. And and well there's actually um there's actually two... not, not 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 physically, but I mean they, they, they work with Kane's line. Sorry, go on. Yeah. There's actually two two um stories. Um and and they, um, I don't know a lot about this. I'm just actually starting to get interested in and read, um, like Mike Heiser. Um, he just put a book out called uh, um, "Reversing Herman," mm-hmm. where he talks about uh, this, you know, including uh, first Enoch in your kind of contextual background of books that that New Testament authors would have read from and would have informed what they wrote mm-hmm. um, and how that helps your uh, ability to understand some more ambiguous passages in the New Testament. But anyhow, um, there's actually two uh, stories about the Watchers uh, and, and what they did and what the nature of their sin was like. One was that they they helped the line of, of, uh, of Cain um, by teaching them forbidden knowledge Mm -hmm. uh the other is you know is uh, the uh the sexual one uh that that they um you know had had nephilim with uh with the uh with the daughters of men Mm -hmm. um and uh and so i don't know i i I think i think he might have seen that as something outside of the story that he wanted to tell Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think it's interesting. Um, the, uh, there's a, uh, there's a story of redemption right there in the, in the, uh, Aronofsky's movie, uh, of, of the watchers, you know, mm-hmm. um, some people were really upset that they became rock creatures. I just kind of took it as, as a metaphorical, uh, to pardon the pun, a concrete metaphor. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but it, it was actually taking a, you know, taking a biblical idea of fallen angels and and making it into a, a. How many biblical movies have you watched where where angels actually play a part in the story, mm-hmm. that aren't like a, a light from off camera, and and a voice, you know, that's kind of echoey, mm-hmm. um, or or some kind of vision that the person has um, that isn't connected with, with the physical reality of, of, you know, of, of their character in the, in the story, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's always an ethereal experience. And, and I think this movie does a real service to, if not the biblical Noah account, at least the biblical worldview of, of angels 
having a, a real tangible existence and participating with humanity in this kind of biblical story. Um, and um, so, you know, they get cast down to earth because... Um, now, here's what I think is weird, is that it, uh, Aronofsky kind of like... If you read, if you've read Enoch, uh, the Watchers, they help humanity, um, but they're they're not they're not like um, sympathetic characters, you know. And and I think in Aronofsky's story, you know, they 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 make the mistake of helping humanity, and and the humanity actually. Uh, like they teach humans how to build cities and build an industrial society, and and then and then humans kind of decide to become warlike. Mm -hmm. When uh, actually, I, I think in the Watchers narrative and stuff, um, they are the corrupting influence on humanity. Yeah, um, well, what were the, the, the those two specific points that you discussed? Um, where the Watchers sort of touch on humanity, at least in sort of the intertestamental literature. Um, has to do with the um, sex with humans and corrupting knowledge. And Aronofsky um, under undermines those a little or underplays them or whatever. Well, he, I guess I'd say undermines. He gets rid of the first one entirely. That's, there's no discussion of sex with humans. Yeah. And the second one he makes into a well-meaning well-meaning mistake. And that's not how um, Enoch, for example, portrays the sins of the Watchers. And, you know, in Enoch, their destiny is destruction period. But yes. for, for where Aronofsky can sort of, you know, tries to make, you know, make what they do an honest, well-meaning mistake. And by doing so, he leaves open the possibility for redemption. Um, yeah. Right? And that was interesting because, because uh, in, in Enoch, first Enoch, um, they ask Enoch to intercede with them for God, you know, to God um, and say, you know, please ask God to forgive us. And, uh, and God says to Enoch, you know, tell them, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> um, whereas, um, you know, in this story, uh, Aronofsky's story, uh, they actually do kind of, uh, uh, they, they, by helping Noah, they, they redeem themselves and, and, um, and are accepted back into, uh, you know, their, their rock bodies bust open in this, their uh, fire spirits kind of ascend back into heaven. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and for someone who's completely unfamiliar with with the you know Enoch and and Watchers and stuff, it just seems ludicrous that there's these giant rock creatures helping Noah uh, build <laughs> his ark and and um, playing such a large part in the story uh, when it's completely you know unbiblical. Uh, but yet you know. If you look at the bigger picture um, about what people were believing, you know, and 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 maybe how first first century believers would have looked at, you know, this uh, uh, these chapters of Genesis, where it talks about, you know, the um, I think it's uh, Genesis six one through six, where it talks about, hmm. um, you know, the 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 Nephilim in the land and all that stuff. Um, that, that that's they would have been thinking of these stories when they when they read those passages um mm -hmm. yeah i i did want to tie this to um 
something uh, I wrote a paper on Paradise Lost. Um, John Milton uh, was doing my English lit uh, mm -hmm. thing, and um, this idea of angelic redemption uh, was something that he thought about too. Uh, and I, my my paper was about this angel called Abdiel uh, in Paradise Lost, and I noticed that that uh, so he is this he's this angel that that fell with Lucifer, and was part of this you know great battle, um, but he actually repents and and is forgiven, mm -hmm. and goes back to the the good side, and um, and that happens exactly halfway through paradise lost um and uh i just thought that was a interesting kind of a, a thing um because i think the general general idea is that like humans have a, a possibility of redemption but but angels don't mm -hmm. uh and and then you know aronofsky kind of asked that question too I think the reason why he put that in there, though, uh, why, you know, I think I think that that all through this movie, uh, there's like supposed to be like these clues for. For us as viewers, but but also for Noah, that 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 God's ultimate purpose is is mercy, forgiveness mm -hmm. um, at the very beginning. Um, one of his uh, sons pulls a plucks a flower. And he's like, uh, what are you doing, Shem? <laughs> you know, I think it was Shem. Mm -hmm. I thought uh, it might have been Ham, but I, I had it written down as well, Ham. Maybe it was Ham. Maybe they were signaling his kind of like later problem, problem <laughs> child thing. But uh, yeah, so, you know, this is this is what the the line of Cain does. They destroy the earth and, and they take what they want um, and they don't give life its proper space to live and grow and all that stuff. Uh, that's another thing to talk about is the whole Christian aversion to the environmental movement. Mm -hmm. I've got notes um, about that. We'll, go, we'll definitely talk okay. about it. So uh, plucking, plucking this flower, you know, he's like, that flower has a right to grow and live on a, you know, and, and uh, you shouldn't have done that. Anyway, after he teaches his lesson to his son, um, he's standing there and the first drop of water falls out of the sky um, from you know, if, if you're a real fundamentalist, you know, you will believe that this is probably the first time water has ever fallen out of the sky. Uh, and so it's perplexing, you know. Anyway, when it hits the ground at this supernatural kind of bizarre dreamlike rate, uh, a flower blooms in its place, the mm -hmm. one that was plucked. And I think that that was... I think Aronofsky kind of put that there to kind of like, it's like a picture in miniature of the movie mm -hmm. and how, you know, like the man destroys, you know, the earth uh, and then God cleanses it through a flood, you know, and then new life springs up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so it's kind of like this metaphor for the whole movie. Um, and maybe the first sign that, that, that Noah should have noticed that that God's purpose isn't to just wipe out humanity altogether, but but he misses that, you know. Uh, but then later, 
with the uh, watchers whose story you had heard, you know, from the beginning of the movie that, that they, you know, they fell because they assist, they wanted to help man and now they're encrusted in rock and trapped on the earth. And, and um, once man became corrupted, they, they kind of like distanced themselves from him, uh, from them. And, and then uh, that kind of puts them in a position where they would want to help Noah. You know, they're not these bad guys that are on the side of of uh, of Cain and his descendants. They've abandoned them and kind of been off by themselves for a while, and and uh, and actually are in a place where they're ready to be forgiven and you know to help Noah. Um, they don't believe they could be forgiven, um, but they help him because it's the right thing to do, uh, and then in the process of, you know, giving their lives to, to help protect, uh, the Ark and Noah and his family, they, uh, kind of like, uh, get the right to, you know, go back to heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's like another picture of forgiveness in the, in the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and I think, so I think the whole thing is about, mercy and forgiveness and 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 how people don't necessarily see how that you know uh noah knows about justice and he knows about the right what's right and he's just all he's expecting is judgment you know yeah and that turns out that there's more to it than just judgment well, and, and you, you kind of talked a little about the, the sort of fundamentals interpretation where this would have been the first time it had rained ever and you do get, well, I don't think that's ever, I don't think that's stated in the film, but if you go into that with that understanding, everybody does seem like it's a very ominous moment when the first raindrop falls because everybody almost has this sense of like, what is this? Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I think that Aronofsky, uh, having read kind of a brief interview with him on the topic, I think he sort of looks at this as, this is primeval history. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he treats it, as if it's, you know, well, he tells the story somewhat literally, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he takes it as uh, history in the same sense that he would take Abraham's story as history. Um, yeah. And so he is sort of willing to sort of go into this world that sort of is primeval in his mind. It's, it's sort of before uh, the real world, I guess, or the world we inhabit. Um, and, you know, the world itself in this film prior to the flood looks very foreign everything about it feels strange or off somehow it feels like it's a different earth almost mm-hmm. and um that's you know changes after the flood is over and it begins to look more familiar um and um you know there are you know noah is presented as uh, and his family presented as vegetarian whereas yeah. uh, the line of cain is not and uh that was one of those things that was so kind of funny to hear uh fundamentalist christians complain about the film was all this sort of, you know, environmentalist hokum or whatever. And, you yeah. know, all, all this, you know, pro-animal stuff and yada, yada. And it's like, okay, so, but, you know, the young earth position is that humans were vegetarians before yeah. the flood. And so, you know, the, the, you know, it's, it's really trying to, I think, be faithful to um, a more literal reading of, of the text and tell that story sort of as it takes place Um as a sort of a picture of, of, of judgment and mercy. Um, 
and and, and, and you know you sort of you, you maybe that'd be a good place to start you talked about how you know the sort of the whole thing is about the the triumph of mercy over judgment but you also see that in little visuals like with the flower um that's another thing is there's such a strong view of original sin and total depravity in this movie and um you know aronofsky and um his co-writer handle 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 i don't know i'm gonna say handle but um is are, are both from a jewish background mm-hmm. and yet the view that they have of depravity of human depravity original sin is goes far beyond i think the way um jews would look at the issue it feels very augustinian um yeah and yeah. which is another another thing why you know another reason why you know there's so many different things as you watch the film that you kind of think why why did the fundamentalists not like this movie <laughs> you know because yeah. there's and, and- his okay so his use of the okay so normally uh like what i'm reading in in mike heiser you know uh mm-hmm. in his books is that uh um the from the jewish perspective genesis uh chapter 3 you know where the fall happens is not it's not the primary thing that people would have been thinking in the first century about like why is the world as bad as it is mhm um, that they would think back to the sin of the Watchers and and how the Watchers uh, corrupted humanity, um, and Aronofsky by kind of like changing the Watchers a bit to to be more. Um, it was accidental that that they they didn't intend for humanity to be uh, as wicked as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they just wanted to help them out. That sort of. Uh, that sort of puts all the emphasis back on on uh, on the garden and, and the fall there. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 and, and two, I mean, there, there, Noah has the vision where he sees the evil of these people of the line of Cain and the terror, yeah. terrible things they're doing to each other, and he sees himself in the crowd. And yeah, you know, so it, you know, this crouching film, down in the dark with like blood on his face from some recent animal he's eaten. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> You know, the Watchers don't have an influence on Noah's family. They influence the line of Cain. But what you see in this film is that the evil of the line of Cain is really an evil of degree. Because that same evil is in all of us because of Adam. And I think, I think, um, I think, because the first thing Noah says to the family, it's like, um, you know, uh, when he's talking about building the ark to his wife, Mm -hmm. um, uh, she asks him, what about us mm-hmm. over dinner? You know, they're all eating. And, and he says, uh, I guess we get to start again too, mm-hmm. like the animals, you know. Uh, but then after that vision, I think it's after that vision that he really starts to think that maybe their job is just to make sure that the animals get through the flood safely and that uh, and that they're going to be the last humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, so... Yeah, yeah, and, and and it all goes back to that vision that he has of the the wickedness that's in all humans, and um, and you know I, I think there's such a strong picture of of depravity and of original sin in this film that there at the conclusion I mean for the, you be, you sort of follow through with Noah a little bit and you sort of feel like you know if we're you know if humans are that bad just get rid of them but mm-hmm. you know but without minimizing to any degree the wickedness that is in human beings there's this new element that's brought in, which is mercy. And apart from mercy, human sin is insurmountable. 
it's 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 the final story apart from God's mercy and love. Um, and um, I, I think there's a, there's a line that Namus says um, uh, when she's talking about you know wanting why the the boys should be able to go on to we should be be able to bring wives on the ark with them because uh, Noah doesn't want them to. And she says something like you know isn't love all that we need to be good? And um, you know it is. Um, you know, there's one reading of that that is, you know, a little bit superficial and obviously incorrect. But, but, the, but there's also a sense in which that's very true. Um, you know, it, it makes a difference in our lives. Um, you know, in our relationships and our family relationships. But certainly, in in a sense of holiness and sanctification, it's the love and mercy of God that enables us to be holy, to be good. And um, so I, I like that idea that, that Namus sort of throws out there as a, as a kind of an, an undercurrent that's running through the film. Um, yeah. I did uh, also, Noah deciding not to kill the twins kind of echoed to me the binding of Isaac or the, uh, the attempted sacrifice of Isaac by Abraham. And in both stories, God's yeah. mercy triumphs over judgment. And they kind of both look forward to Christ as the ark or the coming sacrifice. Um but um, you know, it's a little portrayed a little bit differently in this because um in you know the story of Abraham and the binding of Isaac, Abraham is told to sacrifice Isaac, and then God sort of stops him and says, No, I've provided the sacrifice. Um, whereas in this story, Noah comes to the conclusion that God wants him to mm -hmm. kill these children, but is mistaken, and it's God's mercy through almost like common grace. Um, you know, it's, it's that image of God in Noah that stops him from being able to do what he's going to do. And so he's dealing with this conflict of what he thinks he's supposed to do and what his heart is telling him um, he ought to do, his conscience is telling him he ought to do. Um, well, which, and I, oh, sorry. Go on. I, I was just going to say that, that I think this is like a perfect, like, um, picture of... of, of uh, I don't know what what goes wrong with with religious faith so often when when people who are Christians um, you know are really adamant that that they need to do something but they have it wrong you know uh, mm -hmm. and um, God just kind of like um, like so Noah gets these visions and I kind of thought I've I've thought about this question before um, what was it like when when someone heard God speak to them, you know, was mm -hmm. there room for doubt? You know, was, was it like, was it like me talking to you? Uh, where, you know, it's, it's just really clear or was it, was it uh, something that could be misinterpreted? And, and I think if it was something that could be misinterpreted, even if it was like a vision or, you know, a voice where it's like, I heard God, but, there just wasn't enough detail, you know, uh, and, and you, you make up for it with, with the interpretation that kind of like comes from your context of, of life, uh, fill in the details, what I know about God or think I know about God, um, and then extrapolate. And it's like, well, people who heard these things could have been in the same kind of positions that we're today when we read the Bible and we think mm -hmm. we know what it says and then we go out and try to act on it. And, you know, in some cases do some really horrible things. Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. Yeah. 
and then God's throwing these things at him, like to try to like, you know, say like, no, here I'm about mercy, you know, uh, look how I restored this, uh, flower, you know, look how I forgave these, uh, angels, uh, look how, look how your, uh, you know, um, daughter-in-law, um, Hila, mm-hmm. uh, was barren, but now she's can have children. Look how you have two, uh, boys who don't have wives, but you know, it turns out that she has twins and they're both girls and, you know, and it's like everything here is saying, God is saying like, it's about mercy mm-hmm. and, uh, and he's not getting it, you know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think one thing that came up a lot when I would read evangelical critiques or I keep saying fundamentalist, but I mean, I'm talking about a very conservative evangelical approach. Cause I mean, I, I don't want to say all evangelicals would give this critique necessarily, but mm-hmm. um, that by making God's word, not totally explicit, that's a, that constitutes a difference from the Genesis account. And I, I think that, you know, that, that may very well be. However, <laughs> I think what has happened with this sort of creative license is that a theme which is implied in the Ark story, but not really um, elaborated on really explicitly, is able to be given this very sort of strong... Um, representation in the film by making this small change in that this idea of uh, mercy triumphing over judgment and it also adds um, what, what, I, what I kind of have my notes here as this element of misguided piety mm-hmm. um, and um, you know Noah represents um, a lot of religious people who uh, seek to serve the cause of God but they do great damage and turn people away from God instead and um, I, I found a, a brief interview with Ari Handel, 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 Handel uh, who uh, the co-writer were, uh, with a Relevant magazine, where he said the story, uh, the story says that we all have goodness and wickedness in us, and it's up to us to pursue goodness and resist temptation. That's a personal choice that we all have. We can't fall into the, into the trap of thinking those ones are wicked and we are good. That's an easy way out. And um, you know, so I, I think, you know, what I often see in this idea of misguided piety um, is, and this does, you know, this, thing, this is not where Noah goes with it, um, but is this idea that, you know, I'm the one who's chosen by God, and um, I have a purpose, I'm the good one, I'm in, and these other people are out. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh you know, that's something I, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people who have been turned off to faith or belief in God or Christianity because of a, of an experience of being made to feel like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, Noah's problem, thankfully, isn't quite that. Um, it's, it's, you know, he, he's at the very least, he's correct in his assessment of what kind of a person he is and what kind of a person everyone else is, which is, you know, ultimately twisted. Um, but, um, you know, his problem is, is missing this point, um, of judgment and mercy. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was one, one interesting theme that I thought they were able to explore by, um, making that, you know, small change in the story that, that maybe it was not something that was stated, you know, it's not like, you know, God, God said, you know, take a memo. Um, it was something that was, but also I think the way that it is delivered through these visions also is works for dramatic effect in the film as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, so and, and I had a uh, a couple more notes on uh, things that I thought were kind of um, uh, themes in the movie. Um, the first uh, one is stewardship, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we brought up the you brought up the idea earlier of hand picking the flower and no chastising him that we we take only what we need. Mm-hmm. And uh, Noah's family chooses to be vegetarian. And Noah sees how humans spoil creation and decides the world would be better without them. <laughs> and yeah. you know, there's a certain reading of that that you know looks like this kind of hyper environmentalist idea that nature's good and humans are terrible. And yeah. I think that's how some fundamentalists saw the film. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Oh, I, I, I just I think it's it's really interesting. Um, on the one hand, I, I can really see the, that perspective about how it's like, oh, you know, uh, fallen wicked man creates an industrial civilization. And, you know, the, 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 the hippie, you know, kind of <laughs> uh, liberal good guys um, grow, you know, they're, they're about the, the, you know, growing flowers and and uh, not picking them and, and not eating animals, you know, because they have the same rights that we do. And, and um, you know, so on the one hand, I can, I can see how, you know, as a, as from a conservative Christian perspective, someone would see that, you know, but then also I kind of look at it like how, how does your, how does this political uh, social and political Christian conservatism kind of, prevent you from seeing how this actually takes the biblical narrative seriously mm-hmm. and and says okay on the one hand you have the world that god created and then on the other hand you have the the civilization that 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 man has created mm-hmm. and um you know uh so that's on, on the one hand there's there's that between like the, the the living creation that God made that has its own life force in it, and then you have the the industrial kind of like you know he kind of like parabolizes um, our present world, you know makes that uh, the context mm-hmm. of of this story um, in a way that kind of honors the biblical narrative. Sure, uh, but then also. Um, the vegetarian thing kind of gets me because, you know, I've 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 looked at I've looked at this I've, I've thought about vegetarianism before and have never really been able to uh, do that. <laughs> but um, um, I've I've you know I've read about it and I've I've read because um, there were a lot of like vegetarians in the seventies that that kind of like had the picture of Ezekiel with the child with the animals and mm-hmm. and you know there's the seventh day adventists and their uh, promotion of vegetarianism and and um well and also let's not forget the fundamentalists uh, young earth creationists who believe that uh, if there is animal death then the world that god created isn't good and that yeah. humanity was vegetarian until after the flood yeah <laughs> you know so- so if you really if you're really taking the account literally, uh, um, and you want to have a literal, I mean, this is the only, this is the only version, a movie version of of the story of Noah, that actually has the kind of detail, like of what did Noah eat, you know, what was what was life like uh, in the world, 
when wickedness increased, you know, um, mm -hmm. what was it like for Noah? You know, um, and it's like, well, Noah was probably a vegetarian because God didn't permit human beings to, to eat, you know, to eat animals till after the flood. You know, it doesn't mean that they didn't, but, but this was the first time that he gave permission for them to, um, and then you don't have the right to eat animals uh, that have not been part of a ritual in, in like Israel. I wrote a paper on uh, profane slaughter in Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't until the Israelites entered the land uh, that they were permitted to slaughter animals and just eat them without them being part of ritual worship hmm. in the temple. Like um, before that, or the tabernacle. Uh, before that, uh, you would take your animal, you know, to the uh, to the tabernacle, and and the animal would be slaughtered, and and you would get a portion, and the priest would get a portion. Portion was you know given to God, um, and uh, so the you know that's that's a long time without you know being able to just you know kill an animal and eat it yeah <laughs> you know um so if you take this account literally noah probably was a vegetarian yeah. you know well and and really the, the whole environmental environmentalist you know elements in the film come from i think trying to take the text pretty seriously on at least two points yeah um i think the first is first point that it takes it seriously on is that uh god created the world good it is humanity that corrupts it. It isn't the animals. It isn't nature in some way. The corruption comes from humanity. So Noah is recognizing this reality. The world God created is good. We who have free choice have corrupted it. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, that's a serious reading of the text. And the other uh, element that I think it takes seriously is the idea that um, the first humans are tasked with tending a garden and they're given a responsibility to care for it. And this whole idea of stewardship, which is so strongly uh, present in the first couple chapters of the Bible. And, you know, so you, but you have the contrary viewpoint from Tubal Cain. We haven't really talked about yet, but he's kind of the, the, this king of the, of the, uh, these people who are the, from the line of Cain. Um, and, um, you know, Tubal Cain presents uh, humans' relationship to nature as one of subduing that we are to uh, put it under our foot and show it who's boss. And Noah's viewpoint is more that we're to tend it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, while there's a certain perhaps extreme of um, that one could, one could reach that sort of minimizes the importance of human beings that you sort of see in the extremist environmentalist perspectives. Um, if you were to pick one, perspective to be represented as the more biblical one. I think it would have to be Noah's. Mm. Um, but I, I do think that there's a certain political political conservatism and evangelicalism in America that thinks more like Tubal Cain. Yeah, and, and I think, um, I mean, he clearly portrays him as, he, he portrays him as clearly being evil. Um, but it's interesting when he has him talking okay so he he sneaks aboard the ark you know mm -hmm. uh which is another thing that upsets people a lot 
Um, <laughs> it's like nobody was out. The God shut the door and nobody got in. You know, that, that, but, that, that, that's a point of core orthodoxy. Yes, uh, but this, you know, uh, the way I look at this thing, the way I look at this story is is um, to get another aside going. Uh, this is midrash. You know, this is mm-hmm. this is a way of um, midrash is a technique where you know uh, uh, Jewish uh, people who are you know studying the text would uh, expand the text and talk about other issues. Uh, within the context of of a biblical narrative that doesn't have a lot of detail, they would kind of like fill in stuff, mm-hmm. and and um, the way I guess the closest thing I could think of it is a thought experiment. And you know, if you look at Noah and his you know his um, getting his getting revelation but misinterpreting it and trying to kill you know. Uh, the, the the children because he believes that this is you know it's it's exploring within the context of this narrative uh, 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 a real spiritual question uh, and and coming up with a biblical answer about you know mercy mm-hmm. um, so you know Tubal Cain gets on the ark <laughs> uh, long story short uh, and he um, he talks to Ham. You know, and and this Ham of Noah's three sons, Ham is the one that is most looks like the one that's most likely to to go off and do the wrong thing, um, mm-hmm. smoke cigarettes and that kind of thing. Yeah, so he's he's been sort of drawn to the dark side from the beginning, you know, plucking the flower and and um, and now he's he's talking to Tubal Cain, you know, somehow to me Tubal Cain getting on the ark is like saying. That um, when Noah brought his family on the ark, they didn't leave wickedness behind. Wickedness kind of came with them in a metaphorical mm-hmm. sense, and in a in a, it's like a real metaphor or like a, a, a living metaphor. Tubal Cain is the fact; his existence on the ark is the fact that evil has kind of like come with them, and is currently tempting um, his son Ham, and. Uh, and he justifies himself when he's talking about, you know, he he, he kills this animal, a uh, bird, and starts eating it, and and uh, and Ham, you know, tries to correct him and says, you know, that you you can't do that, you know. There's only two, and life is is precious, you know. And then and then Tubal Cain, you know, justifies himself by saying that um, there's only one God, of me. <laughs> only, <laughs> Well, and not just that though, but the God—that was funny. But but God, uh, uh, God gave them dominion. He says, you know, and mm-hmm. and it's our right, as you know, as the rulers of this world, you know, to basically take what we want, to conquer it, to to subdue it, mm-hmm. and and bring it back to what you were saying, the two different interpretations of 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 subdue the earth. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's in, in in one of them, nature matters. We don't, and the other one, we matter. Nature doesn't, and yeah. n- neither one of them really looks at humanity as um, these beings who are sort of um, given dominion over over the over the earth over nature, but are tasked to steward it. Yeah, you know, and so th- there's this sort of balance between the viewpoints that I think Noah eventually reaches. 
Um, but um, but you know, I, I would say still that you know, even with Noah's um, you know imbalance, he's still more theologically correct than Tubal Cain is. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, because because you know. Uh, you know, as an Orthodox Christian, you'd say, you know, we don't deserve life. We deserve death because we have sinned and brought sin into the world. Mm-hmm. And um, the young earth view in particular would say that animals suffer because of what we did. And yeah. they are essentially innocent. And, um, you know, and I think that Noah takes the character of Noah takes that seriously. Uh, those ideas, those theological ideas seriously. And, um, you know, his mistake is not that he is too much of a hippie or that, um, you know, um, he's been reading too much Mother Jones. It's that he doesn't understand yet that mercy is meant to triumph over judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. Um, and, oh, so I, I do want to say one more one more thing that's kind of a, a, a sort of an aside. We talked about the idea of nature being... Uh, good and, and, and animals, you know, sort of being pure in the film. There's one element I think that I wouldn't exactly call it Gnostic because I don't think the film is coming from a that kind of perspective where Gnosticism makes sense. But um, there's a, a perhaps an indication that physicality is a curse. Um, it is a certainly. It seems like it is certainly for the watchers. So yeah. in the film. Um, the the shackles the word the word shackles i think is used to describe um the angels taking on a corporeal nature mm-hmm. um and um not even really a nature just a almost like a suit <laughs> you know so it's almost this idea that you know, you know that people say you know we're not a uh, we're not a body having a spiritual experience we're a spirit having a you know body bod- i don't know bodily experience or yeah. whatever or you are a spirit you are a soul you're not a body that kind of thing um, well, i think i think the 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 actual way the Watcher's punishment is portrayed in in I've, I don't know which book it is because um, I'm I'm not that well versed in it. But um, the real the way that the Watcher's punishment is portrayed is that they are kept in shackles under the earth, and I think oh in, in Enoch yeah yeah um, and in, I think I think that this movie kind of interprets that you know as them being encased in in earth you know. Yeah, well, and I think uh, uh, Jude specifically uses the language of uh, being kept in chains. But mm-hmm. I actually, if you go back to the first uh, book of Enoch, uh, chapter 10, I, I, I thought this was interesting because I wondered if this possibly, the, the whole idea of the, the watchers being encased in rock or whatever is a midrash on First Enoch 10. Mm-hmm. Because it says that the Lord said to Raphael, the angel Raphael, Bind Azazel, who's represented as sort of one of the ringleaders of the Watchers and the horrible things they do. Bind Azazel hand and foot and cast him into the darkness and make an opening in the desert and cast him therein and place him a, place upon him rough and jagged rocks and cover him with darkness and let him abide there forever and cover his face that he may not see light. Yeah. yeah. And so they are, you know, rough and jagged rocks are placed upon them and their light is sort of covered up or hidden or extinguished by these rocks. Um, and so I wondered if perhaps, um, uh, you know, the film was sort of doing a midrash on that by, uh, yeah. And this is why I'm not mad at Aronofsky, <laughs> you know, yeah. for, for, um, for, um, you know, for making a, a, 
well, okay, so my wife, uh, April, my uh, uh, and my mother-in-law, um, Wolfie's grandma, hate this movie. Okay. <laughs> they cannot stand this movie. Both, they're both evangelical Christians because it is so different from what they read in, in Noah, you know, in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Genesis. Uh, and, and, um, but, but it is not different necessarily from what the apostles read when they read Enoch and referenced yeah. it, at least as, yeah. at least as, and, and I'm not saying that the apostles thought Enoch was scripture, but they certainly thought that there were object lessons that you could get from this sort of take on Genesis. That isn't strictly what Genesis said. That well, and you've got, thought, you you've know, got Peter and Jude, both referencing the book of Enoch, mm-hmm. you know, so you know that, that those authors read this book um, and knew its contents and, and that they were talking to people who knew it as well. Yeah. So, and, and, and they seem to think you could make theological points on it. So, so, yeah. so, so the, the sin of Daronofsky is the, is the quote unquote sin of Daronofsky is the sin of Peter and Jude. You know, so here you have, um, I don't know, I think I heard that that um, Aronofsky himself is is uh, uh, not a religious believer. You know, I, I read somewhat where someone said that, but when I read an interview with him, I think he noted at the very least his Jewish background and his acknowledgement. I, I don't know that he necessarily fits neatly into any particular Jewish tradition, but he seemed to be acknowledging that that was that was, you know, he spiritually, not just racially, but spiritually identified as Jewish. But, but he, so, but he is Jewish. Uh, his co-author um, who worked on this movie with him is also Jewish. Um, he's, he's, um, but anyway, he, he's, he's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. He made, he made a, 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 a he made a, a Old Testament biblical movie from a Jewish perspective uh, and I think using uh, a, a Jewish, you know, um, form of, of biblical exposition, uh, you know, a, a midrash. Um, I just think it's, it's this is why I'm not mad at him, because uh, he 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 t- he takes, you know, he, he wasn't just drawing from Genesis. He was drawing from other Jewish traditional sources mm-hmm. and he was applying a technique that that you know, is, is legitimate, uh, in the, in the, in the community. And, um, and he was taking the story seriously and he was presenting it as, as, a I think a real thought experiment about, you know, grace and mercy and, and coming up with some really good spiritual things to talk about. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I was going to say, um, I do think the, um, I was thinking about the um, the idea that the angels are referred to as being made of light, and it made me think of the uh, the idea of the, the the shattered vessels and the um, that you kind of find in Kabbalah, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you see that a little bit. So actually, first of all, there's a mineral that the the people the, the tribe of the people of Cain or whatever the line That's of so Cain. Hard. Zohar, yeah. and of course, Zohar is the name of a um, a book on Kabbalistic teaching. Uh, I think literally means like splendor or radiance. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zohar also speaks of Adam and Eve having a celestial luster, which is, you know, they're sort of portrayed briefly in the film is they don't exactly look like beings of light. They look physical, but they do have that, what you call, I guess what they call a celestial yeah. <laughs> luster. Um, 
So um, I, I do think there's this, you know, certainly a, a, a Kabbalistic uh, influence that's there. Um, yep. Which, once again, I mean, he's coming from a Jewish perspective. It's not necessarily inappropriate. Um, but I do think there's a suggestion, um, if not something that's explicit, that corporeality is not ideal. Yeah. Which I which I, I think, you know, we, which is, you know, what we would call, in, 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 you know, from a Christian perspective, kind of a Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of perspective, I think, um, you know, if, if taken to its logical conclusion, would undermine the reality of the incarnation of Christ and the possibility of the atonement. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah. Um, I don't think he was making this movie for Christians, you know? No, no, I don't oh. think so either. But, but we're, we are talking about analyzing it from a theological perspective and seeing yes. what we can now get I, out of it. One, one thing I, I like to do, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and what one, I listen to, um, uh, there's, there's a couple of, uh, um, Orthodox uh, Jewish podcasts that I listen to, hmm. um, and and one thing I've been dis one thing I've discovered is that that there is this kind of a. When I went to seminary, we talked a lot about how the the Greek influence, kind of uh, the whole um, matter and spirit, kind of uh, thing influenced Christianity, uh, some Christian groups in, in a Gnostic sort of way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but that that was also present within Judaism, and and one thing I noticed is that from the Orthodox perspective, um, especially ones that are open to like the Kabbalah and stuff like that, uh, you have this um, uh, separation of spirit and and matter, you know, and that that matter is um, physicality. Uh, is is a place where kind of like sin happens, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and that spirituality um, is about uh, well, okay, so Kabbalah. Um, uh, there's the idea of of the uh, infinite light is is the highest level of of Kabbalah, you know. Uh, uh, the tree the, there's the tree of life that's like the symbol of Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. The ten separate. Mm -hmm. um, uh, at the top of this, um, I'd say, image uh, graphic kind of like chart uh, is is the representation of 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 you know God. Um, above the tree of life is is like this infinite light where where God dwells in His perfection, um, and then what you have is successive layers on the way down uh, of solidification until at the very bottom, I think it's Melkuth, uh, the, the bottom Sephiroth, um, mm -hmm. is, is, um, is, is like the physical world. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, so you, there you have this kind of separation of, of like, as you're more spiritual, it's as you get more spiritual, it's less physical, and and as you get further down, you know, the more you are controlled by passions and desires and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. I, I think that's very also very influenced by by Gnosticism. Uh, in in a way, it's kind of like I think um, 
I kind of see like Judaism and Christianity as is like two competing uh, inheritors of of where do we take this faith in God after the temple is destroyed? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 practice of of worshiping God that was founded by God Himself, temple worship and and stuff, uh, has been done away with. So now um, Christians believe that, that, you know, we are to carry on in faith through following Jesus, uh, whereas um, the, the Judaism came up with another answer. Rabbinic Judaism uh, believes that, that it's by following Torah, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that we, uh, you know, uh, around the life of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that, that, that prayers, for example, will take the place of sacrifice. Yes, prayers. To, yeah, t- prayers take the place of sacrifice. In fact, um, uh, one of the podcasts uh, a rabbi was talking about uh, how uh, the the Jewish people are actually in the process of obeying the law. They are saving the world. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know. So basically, uh, when they do their mitzvot, they are they are redeeming humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, anyway, um, yeah, there's those two paths, and and um, about where do we where do we take faith in God after the destruction of the temple, uh, and within the family of Judaism, you know, um, uh, Kabbalah is one of the traditions, and and I I think that that was uh, influenced and grew out of the connection of of um, Greek uh, thought and kind of mystery type mm-hmm. stuff, uh, mystery traditions in, in the Greek world, uh, that that kind of got adopted into that line. And then mm-hmm. within, uh, I think within Orthodox Christianity anyway, you have this maintained uh, this um, idea of the goodness of, of physicality, you know, the goodness of the creation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to me that where the point at which Christians, um, a lot of fundamentals Christians saw this film and did not take issue is the point at which, first of all, where there is a, a theological problem that is more subtle for one thing. It's not anything that's super explicit, but it's also the point at which evangelical Christianity um, at least in America, I guess. Um, well, well, maybe just maybe actually, perhaps Christianity through through the, through the centuries, in a lot of forms, is perhaps uh, at its most confused. <laughs> um, basically, the, the the real central theological problem that could exist in this film is its dichotomy of the spiritual and the physical. But that's mm-hmm. the same dichotomy that the church has, although you know technically dealing with it. Um, you know, in its renunciation of Gnosticism, it's still a, it's been a problem for us. Um, and it's such a big problem because it, it's the only problem that can completely undermine the atonement. Yeah. And, um, but it's not the issue that we noticed in the film really and and brought to the forefront. We were too concerned about the fact that, well, in the Bible, um, God tells Noah to take dictation, and that doesn't happen in the movie. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, there's you know, there weren't rock monsters in the Bible. Um, no rock know. monsters. Noah was not a mass murderer. Um, and uh, um, what's all this vegetarian stuff? <laughs> yeah, and and Tubal Cain didn't get on the ark. You know, it's all this sort of nitpicky stuff. Well, and, and, and one of the one one things uh, actually was commun- You know, a couple of people said to me uh, was they were they really took offense that that uh, the rock monster angels referred to God as the creator. Hmm. They said they they don't say. They don't talk about God, you know. They oh, don't. Gosh. They don't say God. They say the Creator, and and yeah. there was something really nefarious about the fact that they referred to them as the Creator, and I'm like, oh, but gosh. he, but he was the Creator. Yeah, but yeah, the, the part that fitted me most in the movie was when uh, uh, Noah writes out a Christmas card and writes Merry Xmas or yeah. Happy Holidays. Yeah. I, uh, I had yeah. a, I had a Greek uh, teacher who who um, who when he would write on the board. He would write X E X I A N for Christian, uh-huh. and he said it's okay that I do this because this is the Greek letter key. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So, yeah. If you have a Jesus fish on your car, which um, is the uh, um, oh, what's the term when you, you put the letters together to spell out a word, uh, uh, an acronym, yeah. maybe? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The acronym for Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Uh, the X and the ik or the the chi, which is written as it looks like an X. Yeah. So Definitely. if you've ever had a Jesus fish on your car, you can't complain if somebody says Merry Xmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. Well, do you, do you have any concluding thoughts that you'd like to, to end with uh, before we before we go? Um, <clears throat> excuse the coughing. Hmm. <laughs> Well, how about this? Would you tie it all up and put a bow on it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, would, 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 would you recommend the movie for somebody for, for dealing with these issues? I mean, I, I felt that it was somewhat unique in, in dealing so openly and honestly with some of these some of these yeah. theological issues in a way that was very down to earth. Well, okay. And, and um, there was so much attention to detail. And you kind of miss that if you think that, that, um, that the movie was just going wild with you know, adding things in the story of Noah that weren't there. Um, it was so meticulous that, like, in a lot of movies, um, they either don't touch on the fact about, you know, like Noah got drunk and was naked and was covered up by his sons and all that, you know, by, um, you Jim know, and Ham, Ham saw him. And mm-hmm. and um, either it doesn't, ta- it doesn't show it, or if it does show it, uh, there's no explanation. Why is Noah... Why is Noah getting drunk? You know, wasn't he an obedient, godly person? You don't know where where this came from. It's just something that happens to him. Whereas this movie actually gives a really plausible reason for, you know, for so many things in the Noah story, um, uh, including his his getting drunk afterwards. I mean, the guy had been through hell, you know. Um, uh, and 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 tried to kill his uh, uh, grandchildren, um, and and ultimately didn't, and thinks that he failed God because he didn't kill them, and he's depressed, and he's you know, uh, first thing you know after he gets off the ark, he goes and lives off separately from his family, and he gets drunk every day, and and uh, and it's like. 
wow, that, you know, something must have happened to Noah to make him, you know, like that. And this actually gives, it, it ties these details of the narrative together and uses them in this story in a really believable way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just, um, I thought that that the 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 scene where they were like inside the ark and and it was all closed up and you know the flood floods of the 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 water was bursting up from the ground and coming down from the sky and and all the people were outside screaming um and i thought you know i actually kind of got like some chills at that moment mm-hmm. and and i was thinking no movie ever portrayed the horror of of all these in such a in such a you know usually it's if 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 you did if you do see it it's in kind of like a oh they got what they deserved kind of way mm-hmm. you know whereas here they're showing Noah and his family inside hearing these screams and some of them are like we should do something and Noah's like you know there's no there's no saving them you know and you know that that's true and um yeah, it's just kind of chilling. It's it's all these little details that Aronofsky picks up on and works into the story and and ties them all together in a really believable way. Well, yeah, and I it, one more thing to finish on. You talked about the all the all the details um, that, that come in there. Um, I kind of liked that um, they they spent so much attention to um, the dimensions of the arc. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, whereas you know, every every painting or representation of the ark you've ever seen, you know, it looks like a ship. It doesn't mm-hmm. look like a big box, which is what it was. I mean, we talk about the ark of the covenant; it's a big box, and, yeah. and that's what this was. And it was ugly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I mean, it was not a beautiful boat. It didn't. It, look like, it didn't it look, look like Ken very, Ham's uh, ark. Yeah, <laughs> it wouldn't look very good in a medieval painting either. No. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, I, I, Mike, I really appreciate you uh, coming on and doing this with me. I'm, I'm really excited about getting this one uh, uh, cleaned up and, and put online because I think it'll be a really, uh, really exciting one to uh, to have done. So I'm glad, glad we got an opportunity to do this. Thanks for asking me. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Mike.